when I'm in Port of Iron, I tell people I'm like born and bred Port of Iron. But I, there was a little season where like I was like Rich Hill during the week, Port of Iron at the weekends. And so, yes, I was a hardy Memorial boy. I went to second Rich Hill BB. Um, and Neil Dawson ran around like he was Maradona <laughs> back in the day. <laughs> he went playing football. I, uh, yeah, so I lived here. I remember whenever drop-in was above a chip shop and you could get a cowboy supper for one ninety nine down the stairs. Um, yeah, I, I guess I'm going to share some. I want to share two things with you just really quickly. That um, So I, I was praying for you guys this morning and I just I had this picture and I'm going to share it with you all and um, you and the leaders can take it or bin it, I don't mind. Um, it was this picture of like a, like a single flame, so almost either like a match or a candle, but just I could just see the flame and it was just dark with this single flame and it was hard to tell if it's moving, is it not, or is it just sitting, like it's, you couldn't see anything else, you could just see the flame, you couldn't see the dark, you couldn't see anything in the dark around it. But then all of a sudden it like touched this oil that was already there and it was like this inferno just started. And there were just a couple of things that I really felt like the Lord was saying was even when you don't feel like it, that you're moving in the right direction. Even when you feel like you're like a lonely flame in the dark to just keep going because like the darker you feel that it's getting, it's the closer that you are to what God has for you. And so that was the first one. Even when you don't feel like it, just keep moving. And the second thing was this, was that the oil was already there. And I feel like it signified two things. One was preemptive provision, that God has already set up all that you need. And even when you can't see it, um, it means your obedience, when your obedience connects with his timing and his provision, that everything changes. And so don't be worried about provision because it's already there, even though you can't see it for the dark. And the second thing was this, that I feel like the, the oil was laid there by somebody else. The oil was left by them and they were strong where maybe you don't feel like you're strong, but you're strong where maybe they don't feel like they're strong. And I feel like God's calling you guys to this season of greater collaboration. Um, I know you and I know that you do collaborate with other things and other churches and other groups, but I feel like God's calling you to this season of greater collaboration where these heaven sent partnerships, these kingdom friendships that make absolutely no sense to you because they don't look like you. And it doesn't even look like you should be together, but you're together because one looks like fire and one looks like oil. Um, but God's going to use both together to drive back the darkness in ways that you haven't seen him do before. Um, so I'm just going to give you that um, and do what you want with it. And the second, I just wanted to read you just one verse and then I'm going to pray and then we'll, we'll start. It's in Acts 1 and 8. It's some of the last words Jesus said before he went back to heaven. It says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And we really like that bit. Like, we really like that bit. But I think the whole purpose was that we would then be witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Let me pray. Father, we pray today that wherever we are, wherever we find ourselves, whatever's been going on, that Jesus, you would speak so clearly to us. I pray that we would have ears to hear what the Spirit's trying to say to the church today. Jesus, would you, would you give us open ears, open hearts, open minds to what it is that you might want to say to us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So yes, my name's Darren McClatchy. This is my wife, Lauren. We have been married for three years this summer. 
we got married in the castle. So we did. So there you go. <laughs> I don't know if it's one of the first weddings of the castle. You've had a few. Um, it's good. We live in Portadown. Uh, we have a dog called Drake. Um, and yeah, he's good. I've said a few times, Lauren treats him like her firstborn son. I treat him like our dog. It's kind of how I go. But uh, he's great. We get to lead youth ministry in Portadown Elam Church. Um, and I'm going to tell you just a couple of stories because I want you to see some, I'm going to share some stuff that I feel like God's told us today. And I, I, I've been in rooms where I felt like God, people say, God told me this. And you're like, oh, okay, cool. We'll see how it goes. Because sometimes it can feel like a flash in the pan, like it's kind of there and then it's gone. But I want to tell you some stories to build some background to all that we feel like God is saying. We've been leading youth ministry in Portadown for a, oh, nearly five years probably. And a, God really took us on this transition in it. Um, where I, I guess I was leading it and I wasn't sure if I was the man for the job. I, I, I was leading it and I wasn't sure if I was what God wanted for those young people or if God had more for those young people. And the problem was that I couldn't see the way forward and I couldn't work it out and I couldn't understand what God wanted from us or what God had for us. And um, I was praying prayers like, God, if you don't give this to me, I'm going to quit because like, these people are too important and you have more for us. And so... We, I was praying and praying and then it was one night I was in a meeting with other ministers or pastors and I was just praying and I felt like the Lord spoke to me and said, Darren, you're too proud. And I was like, God, like, I'm really not, like, I actually really don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> like, I feel like I'm the opposite of proud. But what happens is pride comes at you in lots of different ways and pride might come at you and then you might battle it and beat it or whatever it might look like. But then what it does is it just goes away and it puts on a different mask and it comes back at you again and It'll just do that, and it does that. And so with me, it came back at me in this form of insecurity. I just didn't know what I was doing. And so what happened was I just said, I can do this. I can do this. And then there's other people and other friends who are trying to share stuff and tell stuff. I said, it's okay, I can do it. I can do it, I've got this. And I wanted to almost prove to myself and prove to God maybe that I could do it, and really I couldn't. And so that night, I just gave it all to God. And um, the middle of the night, I woke up that night and felt like God asked me a question. What would it look like if you could take back everything the enemy took off a generation of young people? And that was me up for the night. I started writing down notes. I started dreaming about what would that look like? What would it look like if every young person in Portland Iron 11 to 18 just loved Jesus? And then every year, all we had to reach were the people coming out of P7. Like every year, that was just all we had to do. One year, that's all we had to do. We started to dream about what would it look like if anxiety or depression just didn't exist and in that generation, what would it look like if everything that the enemy had robbed, that we got it back. And he took us on this real journey of becoming more missional in how we did our meetings. Um, And we got to encounter lots of young people that probably for the first time that had never heard anything, like nothing, didn't know anything. Like I was the kid, and maybe it's a reflection on me, but rather than the time, but I was at every good news club in Rich Hill, like every one of them, like everybody was like a uh, I was out, like my mum had me at it and, um, and it was a free babysitting or what it was. Or, but anyway, I was there and, but now there's these young people who just didn't know anything. No idea. Who's Jesus? Don't know. Like you couldn't say things anymore. Like you all know in the story of Moses, I couldn't say that anymore. I couldn't say that stuff anymore because they just didn't know anything. And uh, I had this, uh, this moment, the kids are out, yep. Uh, I had this moment where we, um, give this kid a Bible. He's a kid, he's from Lithuania. 
didn't never been in church, gave him a Bible, and he was like, oh, this is a big book, and I was like, trying to like work it out. I was like, no, it's not. It's 66 books. It's all together. The Lord smartly puts it together because he knows that you'll lose them, so here you go. You can have them, and he's like, oh, right, right, and he runs off in the corner, and he starts reading this book, and I'm having that wee moment where I'm like, oh, look at him. That's cute, and he then reads it, closes it, goes back to playing FIFA, and then he shouts over this room, maybe, maybe about 70 young people all there, and it's quite loud, and he shouts over the whole room, Darren! Like, yeah, what's wrong? He's like, taps the Bible, don't eat the apples! Like, what's he talking about? And then I say, ah, oh, well, very good, I don't eat the apples. And I was like, ha ha, very funny. Walked off, and then I hear, Darren! Yep. Especially don't eat them if you're naked. <laughs> and I was like, I suppose if you open a Genesis and you don't know anything, that might be the first thing that you might, you might learn. But it was just this journey of getting to work with unchurched people and trying to walk them through it and actually seeing the beauty in that because I didn't have to break down any of their theology that they had without knowing. I just said, you know, the Bible says we do this. And then they just said, okay, cool, let's do it. And so we got to do that for a while. And then at the same time, I got to lead a Limitless, which is Elam's youth department in Ireland. Um, and so getting to do lots of stuff together with all of these different youth ministries. And one thing we do is called Relentless Summer Camp. And we've honestly had some of the most remarkable times together. Like, like meetings where I have said to my friends, do you know if we got to heaven and it was just this meeting? I wouldn't be surprised. Like, just it's like the Lord's just there. And he's doing stuff and we're seeing people get healed and we're seeing stuff happen like right in front of our eyes. And I was like, I don't even need faith right now. I guess it's just happening. Like this is like, I'm watching this happen and the Lord doing it. And these, all of these remarkable meetings. And I didn't ask the question out loud because, well, one, I didn't want to get sacked. And two, I didn't want people to think I was backsliding. But I started asking this question, what's the point? Because I actually didn't sign up to follow Jesus just to get the goosebumps now and again. Like, I was like, what's the point of all of this? Because when I read the book of Acts, he only ever encounters people in powerful ways because he has a job for them to do. He has something that he wants them to do. I don't think that he filled the people in the upper room on the day of Pentecost for them. I think he did it because there was 3,000 people outside that were ready to give their lives to him. And it was like the, the harvest was plentiful, but, and he just like filled them and they spill out onto the streets. And I think what he did that day was for the sake of those people. And so I was asking the question, well, who's our people? What do you want for us to do? And so last year we ran our camp. We started to look, last year we did a camp. We called it Relentless for Ireland. Um, we looked at Ireland and I don't know if you know, I'm going to share some stuff with you today. And I don't know if you know lots of it or if you don't know it or if you didn't want to know it, but I'm going to tell you anyway. And then it's up to you what you do with it after that. Um, you can't say you didn't know. We started to look at the fact that the Republic of Ireland or the South of Ireland or call it what you want is currently the most unreached English speaking country in the world. 1.5% evangelical Christian. You go on the Joshua Project or Open Doors, it's on their list as an unreached people group because it's got less than 2%. Less than 2% means that you haven't got the resource in yourself, whether financially or people-wise, personnel, you haven't got the resource in yourself to reach your own country and your own people. And so we started to call these young people to this and say, what's the chances? Why would the Lord set the most churched, reached country in Europe, Northern Ireland, right beside the most unreached English-speaking country in the world. Maybe he's up to something. Maybe we could do something about that. Maybe we could affect some sort of change. And we probably knew as the leaders that whatever was going to happen through that, that we would have to go first. (laughs) 
didn't want to admit it. We probably didn't even say it out loud to each other, but we both knew that, do you know whatever God's going to do here, we're going to have to do first, and we're going to have to show some young people. And actually, when I was 17, I remember uh, sitting in Dublin City and just asking God the question, what do you want? Like, what do you want to do in this city? What do you want to do here? I didn't know anything about statistics. I didn't know anything about who was reached, who wasn't reached. I didn't know anything about that. I was just, God, what do you want to do? And I felt like God started to speak to me in that. And it has, oh, I don't like to admit it out loud, but it's like almost 15 years ago. And just this journey of that, and even actually in that, anyone that knows me knows there was a little season there for about three or four years when I walked away from God, and I didn't want anything to do with them. I didn't want anything to do with church. I didn't want anything to do with any of it. But God still works all things together for the good of those who love them. And even when we're unfaithful, the Bible says he remains faithful because he cannot deny who he is. And so we're still on this journey. And so I want you to see the threads of this really long process of all that God's been trying to do and trying to say in us. Because we're currently on this journey of moving towards Dublin City because we really believe that God really passionately loves the people of Ireland. Like he does. Like his heart breaks over the 98.5%. Like I, and I also feel like his heart breaks over the lack of action inside the really church north. <laughs> or, but anyway, I, I really feel like it's time for the church as a whole to stop playing defense. Like it's nothing frustrates me more than watching it. Like I feel like like the Lord didn't save us and set us free and fill us with the power of the Holy Spirit, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead, to just sit and play defense. Just to keep the kingdom of darkness at bay, just to batten down the hatches and hope that the Lord comes back quick before that all happens around me, uh, before it upsets my little comfortable life too much. I don't feel like the Lord's called us to play defense, but I feel like he's called us to go into all the world and be witnesses and to push back the darkness and to say, not to say, here, you can come to this line, but what a, hey, if you don't cross the line, I won't cross the line. It's not some sort of peace treaty that I'm looking with the kingdom of darkness. My job is to push it back and to push it back and to take back all that the enemy has stolen and to push him back, to go and see the kingdom of God extended across the globe. I don't feel like he's called any of us just to batten down the hatches, but I feel like he's called us all to go into the world and to push the darkness back and whatever could capacity that we do that because John 1 5 tells us that the light shines in the darkness I don't know if you've had those moments where you've like walked into your living room or something in the middle of the day and the light's on and you didn't even notice you're like, and you flick it off because you're raging out your pen the electric for it but uh, like the light's on in the living room you didn't even notice because it's shining in the light but you turn that light on in the dark and everything changes. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness can't ever extinguish it. And so we have this task at hand to push the darkness back, to push it back. We can hide our light if we want. And actually that's really an option for us. And we know that it's an option because Jesus addressed it and said, you can hide it under a basket if you want or under a bushel, whatever that is. You hide it under a bushel if you want. But what about you set it up like a city on a hill what if you set it up like a like on a lampstand what if you light up the whole room with it what if you do some he says that because a lot of us will naturally try to hide it but that's not what we're called to do and so when we look at the island of Ireland and we start to think and we start to dream I there's a couple of verses and I feel like when I read it I can picture the Lord like looking at Ireland and saying it 
And it's Matthew 9, 36 to 38. It says, when he saw the crowds, that's Jesus, he had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And he said to his disciples, the harvest is great, but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord who's in charge of the harvest and ask him to send more workers into the field. And I feel like Jesus is saying the same thing to us today. He's looking at it and he's saying, with compassion in his heart, this harvest is great, but the workers are just few. The harvest isn't the problem. Workers are the problem. Well, the harvest is great, but the workers are few. And what we might miss is this, because what I did, I took that passage for a long time and I prayed, Lord, send workers, Lord, send workers, Lord, send workers. And what Jesus is saying, because Jesus is the Lord of the harvest and Jesus is talking to his disciples. And so what he's really saying is, why don't you ask me if I should send you? Why don't you ask me if I should send you into the harvest? Why don't you ask the Lord of the harvest, me, to send workers, you, into the fields and I didn't do that for a long time and you know what happened whenever I started to ask him Jesus do you want to send me yep yep because the harvest is plentiful and the the workers are few and we know that that happens because in the next passage we get into Matthew 10 it's a whole passage about Jesus is sending out his disciples and he's given them like their marching orders and their commands into how to do it and what why I feel like I tried to ask the question like Lord why did I not just get to work Like, why didn't I do it? And here's what I feel like happens. And it happened to me. I don't know if it happens to you. You're maybe more spiritual than me. But what happens is that I feel like the enemy tries to shift our focus from what it is that I'm actually responsible for and put it on to things that I'm not actually that responsible for. And so then I have all of my focus on something that I'm not responsible for. And then the things that I am responsible for, I don't even think that much about. I did one of those personality things the other month and like, it was kind of like, oh, what if it says something I don't want to know? But it, I did this thing anyway. And what it told me was I was driven by responsibility. Some people are driven by their feelings, their emotions. Some are driven by their logic. I'm driven by my responsibility, what I feel responsible for. And one of the greatest ploys of the enemy is just to switch that. And so then I don't work at it. And we see it because what happens is we get into church for a while and then we start to bicker over like nonsense that doesn't even matter. Like, I sang that song again. I hate that song. Oh, did you see that they sat in my seat? That was my seat. Like, I've sat there for three weeks. How did they not know I sat there for three weeks? Like, a pastor used the wrong version of the Bible. Like, what's he thinking? Like, obviously the Lord speaks in King James. Like, well, it's like, what, like, what does it even matter? Like, like it's, it's because you're, the enemy's trying to shift what we feel responsible for and to set our responsibility on the stuff that doesn't matter. And all of the while we're bickering over nonsense, but then there's 98.5% of this block of land that we live on that's going to a lost eternity. And I feel like he shifted our responsibility. And I want to show you, I just want to show you just really quickly. There's a passage that's been really speaking to me recently. And Lauren's, Lauren, if you want to come, Lauren's going to sing to us in just a second, but... <coughs> Matthew 22, 2 to 10, there's this story. And it starts with the kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by, I love all, there's loads of these passages in the gospels and it's just like the kingdom of heaven is just so grand and so great that there's all of these stories to explain all these different aspects to us. And it says the kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of a king who prepared a great wedding feast for his son. And when the banquet was ready, He sent his servants to notify those who were invited, but they all refused 
to come. So he sent other servants to tell them, the feast has been prepared, the bulls and the fattened cattle have been killed and everything is ready. It's like all of the provision is there for you to come to the feast, just come to the banquet. But the guests he had invited ignored them and went on their own way, one to his farm, another to his business. Others seized his messengers and insulted them and killed them. And we see that all across the globe. Messengers of God, brothers and sisters in Christ being captured and killed for just inviting people to the feast. And the king was furious and he sent out his army to destroy the murderers and burn their towns. And he said to his servants, the wedding feast is ready and the guests I invited aren't worthy of the honor. Now you go out into the street corners and invite everyone that you see. So the servants brought in everyone they could find, good and bad alike, and the banquet hall was filled with guests. Do you know, I feel like I spent my whole life to date trying to convince the guests that said no to say yes. I have. If I could just learn a different way to communicate the message, if I could just be smarter, if I could just watch enough Ravi Zacharias stuff that I'd be smarter than them, if I could just read enough books, if I could just work out all of my apologetics, if I could just, maybe the next time they'd say yes. When the reality is that there's people all over this island, all over the globe that haven't heard the message once, haven't been invited once. And I read this quote one day and it said, nobody deserves to hear the gospel twice if there's people that haven't heard it once. And here's where I am now. I used to go home, if I had shared the gospel with you and you didn't give your life to Jesus, I used to go home and, oh, how am I gonna change? What am I gonna do? Try to work it out because I felt really responsible for that. You see now, like, maybe it sounds harsh, I don't know, but once I, once I know that I have effectively communicated the gospel to you and you have had an opportunity to give your life to Jesus, then unfortunately I don't feel responsible for you anymore because whether you choose to say yes or no to the feast is up to you. Whether you choose to say yes or no to Jesus is up to you. Once I've told you that Jesus loved you so much that he came to this earth and he died a death to pay the price for your sin so that you could walk and talk with God again. Once I've communicated the gospel to you and you say no, that's okay. You're not my responsibility. But the 98.5% of people on this island that have not heard yet, that is my responsibility. I have a job to do. And I feel like the Lord really spoke to me about the verses we read at the start or the verse we read that I would be filled with power and I would be his witness in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria and the ends of the earth. And what I did was I read it and I went, Jerusalem, I'll look after Jerusalem and other people will look after Judea and Samaria or the ends of the earth. Like, cool. And we'll all just play our little bit. But I felt like the Lord really challenged me one day and said, Darren, it wasn't a list for you to pick from. It was a list of your responsibilities. You don't just pick one off the list. I am responsible for Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth. I am responsible for all of that. I am responsible for all of those people. I feel like the Lord will, was challenging me and saying, Darren, I will one day ask you about those people that didn't hear, those people that you knew about that didn't know and you didn't do anything about it. Because my responsibility isn't for the people that said no. My responsibility is for the people on the street corners that don't know yet that they have a seat at the feast. To help us land it in our minds, I was on a flight to Birmingham in January. 
sat beside this man. He's in his 50s. I'm that guy on a flight that if you, if it's a four-hour flight, kind of, I'm going to put my headphones in and watch, like, something, watch a movie. Like I, but if it's, like, a 45-minute flight or an hour flight, like, you better, like, hold on. Like, we're going to chat. We're going to work it out. I'm going to get your whole life off you. And so, 45-minute flight to Birmingham, and me and him start to chat. He's in his 50s. He is a bit of a Dell boy in Galway. And we're chatting, and he didn't know until that flight that he had any option other than Catholicism or atheism. Either I go to chapel or I don't believe in God. That's it. And he's showing up every week and he's going through the rituals and he's going through all just to try and get himself closer to God because he doesn't know anything else. He never heard that Jesus loved him so much that he died for him. He didn't know the gospel. He hadn't heard it until that point. And I got off that flight really annoyed. How did he get to 50? I could drive to him in four hours. Like, how did he get to 50? And nobody told him. I was really perplexed and really annoyed. And then I go in and I start to have dinner with a guy that I know. And I was telling him about it. And so he starts to share a story about his friend who is a substitute teacher who looks after exams. And his friend, what he does is takes a list of names and he'll just walk up and down and just be praying under his breath for all of the young people and all of the kids in the exam. And so he's doing a GCSE and he's walking up and down a room of 16-year-olds praying over them. And he prays over this one boy, prays him up by name. And God speaks to him and says, do you know nobody's ever spoke to me about this boy before? I burst. Like, I, I'm usually quite good. Like, I'm holding it together. I can. Like, and he's like, what have I done? Have I broke him? And i crying over my dinner. Because I'm like, my mind goes straight to this man from Galway. And I think he's praying for him. What about his wife? What about, I think they had like six or seven kids. What about their kids? What about his grandkids? Who's praying for them? Never mind who's sharing the gospel because I am where I am because people prayed for me and prayed every day for me. Like this is is why I can do what I do and I am where I am because people prayed. And here's a man who just didn't know. And the harvest is plentiful. Like we took 120 young people to Cork the other weekend and we started to see people getting saved on the streets. And we were only out on the streets for like two hours and seeing people really wanting prayer and God really encountering people and meeting with people. And because the harvest is plentiful, it's just the workers that are few. Do you know if any of us were born less than two hours from here, there's a good chance you might not have heard the gospel. just geography like it's just two hours we wouldn't have had anyone praying for us and the privilege that we have is just because we were born where we were born and people like that man just didn't have it in Dublin city right now there's about there's about 10,000 people just sleeping on the streets there's 100,000 people that have full-time jobs that are still living in poverty because they can't afford to be there, like they can't afford to live. There's 600,000 people in the city centre and there's 2 million in Greater Dublin, which is greater than the whole north of Ireland. 600,000 in the city centre, 1.5% Christian. Means there's over 590,000 people in Dublin city right now that if if they died tonight, they'd be lost.
Lauren's going to sing a song to us and I'm going to come back and close up. Just before I sing, I want to really uh, thank you guys for having us today. Um, really appreciate us, um, you allowing us to come. And I just want to um, honour you guys, honour your leaders, uh, Neil and Ronnie, because um, the first thing I think about when I think of um, job and ministries in this church is um, that you are a church that sings really, really well. And um, we come here this morning and um, that's what you're doing uh, you have this reputation of sending and that's a great one but actually we come this morning and that's exactly what you're doing that you have uh, two different teams up that you're praying for because you're sending them so thank you for modeling that um, out. yes there's lots of inaction in our country but thank you for not being a church that's like that thank you for taking the responsibility really seriously and um, it's really encouraging to us so thank you for modeling what it is and to take that seriously um, I'm going to sing a song um, that is called um, I'm going to sing um a bit of another one as well but the first one I'm going to sing is called Heart and Hands um, and it just really is a song that communicates God's heart for the lost and for the broken um, and then I'm going to sing one um, that I have written recently when I've thought about us moving to Dublin um, when I thought about us um, operating our lives and moving to Dublin which isn't really that far away people think we're going to flip the other end of the world well it's not really that far away but um, for us it feels far because we are having to leave um, a youth ministry that we love very much and young people that we love and um, that we've seen grow up and are now leaders and we're having to leave that and um, leave our friends and leave our family and come into um, some of the realisation of even things like um, Dan and I haven't had kids yet and um, just realising, you know, our kids... If we have them, are one day you know, they're not going to be right the corner from um, their nanny and their granda and our support and um, even what that means financially for us. You know, we're not going to have um, a comfortable home to live in that we can more than afford. Um, all of these questions and things that you're going for me, what the heck's going to happen? But um, the other option is that we don't go and that we say no, um, and then one day I stand before God and he asked me what did you do with me like um what did you do with Jesus and I don't want to stand before him um I was reading recent well it was about a year ago uh, that passage it's the cost of discipleship and Jesus says to his disciples come and follow me and it's that it's those phrases and it's that language immediately straight away they set down their net and it was everything that they had it was their finance it was their home it was their job it was their money it was everything that they loved so so much and without a thought like that blows my mind that it was immediately they set down their net just to follow Jesus because he was worth it they understood who he was they saw him and it, it was just worth it and I want that to be said about my life unfortunately it's not immediately I have to I think through everything first and then yeah I will give him my yes but when I stand before Jesus, I wonder what excuse is going to hold up. <laughs> oh God, I didn't say yes to you. I didn't go to Dublin um, to tell those people about Jesus because I couldn't afford it or it just wasn't part of my culture. And I don't think any of those excuses when I see him, I don't even think I'd want to give them to him. I don't want to just go to work every morning and just go through the motions and then just slot Jesus in 
when I have a bit of time because it's not what he's worth. It's not, it's not who he is. And when I get to know him more, I just want to give everything over to him because the reality is when he asks me of some, to do something, actually saying yes is, it feels like a risk, but it probably is the safest place that I could ever be. So um, the last part of the song is, uh, communicates, hopefully communicates some of that. Romans 10 says this, but how could they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they've never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone goes and tells them? And how would anyone go and tell them without being sent? You see me and Lauren, we have lots of reasons why we shouldn't go. <laughs> we have wrote lists. And on one side it has lots and lots of reasons like could we afford it no do you have a job down there no do you know where you're going to live down there no do you know what you're going to do with your kids no do you know anything about the schools no we have this really long list of reasons why we shouldn't but you see on the other side we have how could they call on him to save them unless they believe? And how would they believe if they've never heard? And how would they hear unless someone goes and tells them? It makes no sense to me. <laughs> They'll say, do you know what you're doing, Darren? Nope. I've led a youth ministry in the church with help some people there, but I don't know anything about moving in this city that I don't know and trying to gather people that I don't know and trying to lead them into relationships. I don't We're leaving our family, we're our support network, our friends, or our jobs, any level of security that we might feel like we have, we're going to have to leave it behind and we're moving into this area of rising poverty and it's lost its middle class, it's just got rich and poor people now. We're moving into an area that if it helps you process it, it's like a two bedroom flat's going to cost us over £2,000 a month just to rent. But how could they believe if they never hear? And how would they hear if nobody goes? Because I do really believe that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. I do really believe that he still loves people. I still really believe that he provides for people. I still really believe that he heals the sick and he raises the dead. I still believe that he heals marriages and he gives purpose. I still believe that he reaches into the dirt and he lifts people out and he sets their feet upon a rock. I do believe that as far as the east is from the west, so far he can remove their sin and their transgressions for them. I do believe that they gives them a future and a hope. I do believe that there's nobody too far gone that Jesus can't reach and Jesus can't get. I do believe that he's still the God who restores families. I do believe that he still seeks and saves the lost. And I do read my Bible and see that he rescued some, whole, some entire cities. And I believe that he's still the God that could do it. And the call on all of us is to go. It's like it is. People say all the time, I don't know what God has for me. I was like, go somewhere. Like, Go. For us, that looks like Dublin. For some people, it looks like Haiti or Jordan or where it might. It looks like it looks like going somewhere. And so, I just want to ask you today: Where are you going to go? <laughs> where are you going to go? Who are you going to reach? Where are you going to go to? For some people, it's going across the world. For some people, it's going across the street. Like, 
say hello to someone because you don't know if they've heard or not and how are they going to believe if they have never ever heard who are you communicating the gospel to because I've sat in loads of prayer meetings where we've prayed for revival like loads and we say some things and they're right prayers but we say some things like God pour out your spirit which is good because I want to I ask it all the time God do it but I felt like one day when I was praying it God said I did 2,000 years ago in an upper room I poured out my spirit and I promised that from that day I would pour out my spirit upon all flesh and I look back on my life in the moments that he poured out his spirit upon me and I know now that I carry the spirit of God inside of me and then we also say God would you move God would you move we need a move of God God would you move and I feel like sometimes God's saying Darren would you move Darren would you do something because you carry my spirit inside of you and so a move of you is a move of God and so where are we moving What is it that we're going to do? Who is it that we're inviting to the feast? Lauren said it already, but we really do appreciate the invite. We we have a long history with lots of the guys in this room. We went on, I went on a mission team for like six weeks, didn't know where I was going or what I was doing back when I was like 17. And from that, we just made some friends. A bunch of people in this room were on that trip and we are really like we look to you and your church and your community as people that send and we'd love to be more like you and we'd love to grow a community in Dublin that would send like you send and do what you do if you we have we're sort of saying to people there's three ways that people can help one is we just love people to pray for us because we do it's you know that passage says you're sent out like sheep among wolves like it's like ah, what are we doing and so we have a thing over there if you want to write your email address down or you want to go on we have a website you can check it out capitalcitydublin.com you can you can sign up there and we'd love to keep you updated on that if you wanted to give no pressure on it there's things at the back you can give there's a bucket there's little things you can fill out if you thought you could give a little bit and often that would be really helpful too and the last one is just this if you want to come (laughs) want to come with us let us know not sure though be room in our one bedroom flat but we'll put you on the floor somewhere but it's worth asking the Lord I always says I was at like it's worth asking the Lord these sort of questions where do you want me to go because either he'll show you where he wants you to go or you'll know for sure that he wants you to stay where you are and so God where do you want me to go God where do you want me to do I'm going to pray for you and then there's just going to be a video that comes on and then it's back over to Neil Father we thank you that we get the opportunity to work with you Jesus, we thank you that this is a co-mission that we get to work with you. That Jesus, you have plans and purposes for towns and cities and villages. And Jesus, we thank you that we get to be a part of what it is that you're doing on the earth. Jesus, you can save everybody in an instant. We see your power through your words in Genesis. And so Jesus, we thank you that actually you call us to this mission with you, that we get the joy of being part of what you're doing on the earth. And so Jesus, we pray that you would help all of us, that you would lead all of us, that you'd guide all of us to those people that you want us to invite to the feast. And Jesus, we thank you that there's an opportunity for everyone, that no one's too far gone, and that you passionately love people. So we praise you and we thank you for all that you're doing and all that you want to do. In Jesus' name, amen.